Hello and welcome to Board Stupid, the podcast that loves talking tabletop board games, D&D and other awesome stuff. I'm Wayne. I'm Simon. And I'm Jason. Ah, a third guest. We've uh, managed to get more people involved. Anyway, we're just a few nerds talking about the things that we love that are worth geeking out over. So, Jason, are you ready? I am indeed. Simon, are you ready? Let's get it on! Let's get it on. Let's dive into this week's episode. Let's do it. In this week's episode, it's my pleasure to introduce Jason, otherwise known to us as Frizzy, one of the founders <laughs> of the Crawley Gaming Club, or the CGC, um, which focuses on providing a space for modern board gamers of all types, from those that play D&D, tabletop wargaming, Magic the Gathering, everything in between. Um, Simon and I have known Jason for quite a while in our past life as backyard pro wrestlers, <laughs> um, and I personally have attended a few of the events that he's put on. And uh, I've seen how it's really grown from strength to strength, uh, especially well, just before this uh, horrendous situation of hit. Together, we're going to talk about some uh, about board games, right? The mod, the ones that we love, um, some of the ones we might not love so much. Um, everything that makes uh, modern board gaming awesome, and why modern board gaming is so great, and why everyone we think at home listening should be involved in in modern board gaming. Right. So, Jason, let's start by talking about the CGC, the Crawley Gaming Club. Um, how that came about. What was it that inspired you to start that up? Um, what were the goals in mind when you set the club up and how's that journey been for you? Uh, well, to be honest, back, back when we set it up in 2017, uh, it was purely, at the time, I was heavily into tabletop gaming. I was a Warhammer fantasy player. Um, not long before that, Games Workshop had uh, got rid of the Warhammer fantasy game itself and replaced it with the Age of Sigma, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But I still played it. But I really craved playing uh, the Warhammer Fantasy game. And you weren't allowed to do that in the store because it wasn't a supported game anymore. Um, so myself and one of my friends decided we need to have a place to play this. We set up the the club. Um, originally it was going to be a once a month thing. But we got such demand um, when we announced that we were doing it. That it suddenly changed from an idea of monthly to a weekly. Um, so we decided every Monday night. We were going to get together, a load of us, have a few games of Warhammer Fantasy. And it kind of opened it up as well because there are so many other games out there that people could come down and play that they had nowhere else to play at the time. And that's basically how it came about. You know, on our, on our first night, it was primarily very Games Workshop heavy. But on the second week, we started noticing things like uh, Fantasy Flight's X-Wing had turned up. And I'd never been exposed to this before. You know, so I kind of went over to the table and was like, oh, look at the new shiny things, you know, and mm. suddenly my wallet was jumping out of my pocket. <laughs> um, and, and and even since then, like I said, we've just celebrated our three-year anniversary. Unfortunately, we celebrated it behind bars, as we were calling it. We had to do an online uh, game night in order oh. to celebrate, which was a bit of a shame, um, but it was good fun nonetheless. Yeah, man, three years, nothing to uh, to shy away from, that's it, that's it. Strong landmark in something like this, I think. Definitely. Um, and I pride myself on, you know, we've never taken time away. We've never had a night off unless we were forced to. Like, because we're done in a community centre, there was a two-week period where the community centre was being refurbed, so we were forced to close. Uh, but other than that, Christmas, we, we, we closed as well, obviously, because we're forced to. But other than that, we have been open every single Monday evening. That's a great achievement. 
Thank you. <laughs> and we've got some crossover with our lovely local friendly gaming comic shop. Indeed, we have, yeah. Um, obviously, those guys opened last year, and it was fantastic, a much-needed addition to the community in Crawley. Um, they've welcomed us, we've welcomed them, and now uh, pretty much every Wednesday, uh, occasionally it's every other Wednesday, but pretty much every Wednesday we'll be in there. We take on our library of board games. There's about 80 different board games that we take with us every week. Um, the, the crates that you guys roll in on a Wednesday is <laughs> an impressive and mighty sight. It really is. It is. It is. I just wish I could take the entire collection that I have. You know, it's. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I have to cap myself at about 80. Well, I'll quickly segue into something you mentioned there about having your three-year anniversary and doing an anniversary gaming night sort of online, sort of via Discord. Um, what did that look like for you? Because I've been uh, using uh, Tabletop Simulator uh, yep. to try and do a few things. Is that what you've been using as well? I have personally. I've, I've really started to, to learn the mechanics on, on Tabletop Simulator because obviously it takes a little bit of getting used to yeah, uh, when you're doing the board games and stuff like that especially the um, things like Warhammer, um, a couple of other games which uh, I like to play, like um, Star Wars Legion, uh, yeah, that okay. kind of thing. Uh, Miniature-based games. takes a little bit of getting used to. But other than that, like the Discord one, on the, the initial night was just purely, uh, the first time we did it since the lockdown occurred, uh, it was just purely a social thing to get the members talking to each other, keeping them interested, you know, and... Basically, that kind of thing. Keep them interested, keep them happy, yeah. um, keep them talking. And keep the community active. Keeping the community active is a perfect way of describing it. Um, but then we started introducing online games. Mm-hmm. Um, like One of the favourites that we play pretty much every Monday evening at the minute is Quiplash and Drawful, uh, which only one person needs to own that game, and then they stream it, and then everyone else can log onto the website and play okay, the game, yeah, which is good. a really, really good, good game. It's a good community fun game to play. Um, but yeah, other than that, you've got things like Tabletop Topia, mm-hmm. uh, Tabletop Simulator, like you said. Um, a lot of people are starting to pick that up now. With regard to those sorts of solutions like Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia uh, or Tabletop Topia and uh, using Discord and, and various other things that we've got there, it's still not quite the same, right? I mean, I think we all, we all miss or just getting our hands on the cards, on the pieces, whatever it is that we're playing. There's something about that tactile nature of board gaming that is, that's why we started getting around the table again in the first place, right? Yeah, definitely. There's there's something special and magical about feeling the, the components of a board game in your fingers and, and having that social aspect of face-to-face contact. Um, it's definitely something that it can't really be replicated online, but it's the best we can do at the minute, which yeah. is why I think people are doing it. Yeah, the digitised version of a tabletop. And, and I think it's an important distinction is that we've not just gone back to our Xbox and started playing computer games online. We're mm. keeping as close as we can to our real interest, which is that tabletop gaming. Yeah, definitely. We just happen to be doing it digitally and having the facility to do that has been really beneficial, I think. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. So... Heading back to uh, the CGC, um, what sorts of things do you play there? If someone brand new walked in, when we can eventually open all of this back up, um, what would an average evening look like to someone that walks into a quarterly gaming club evening? Okay, um, well, we, we welcome pretty much any form of. I'd actually like to say it's more of a hobby club as opposed to a gaming club, despite the fact that it's in the name. Okay, because we do actually get people turning up, sit there and draw, they paint. Oh wow, that kind of thing. 
Um, gaming wise, you can definitely, definitely expect to see Star Wars X Wing. You know, okay. it's one of our most popular games, without a doubt. There'll be at least one game of that every week. So one of your signature games. That, that it kind of is, yeah, in. yeah. It's it's not actually a game that's my personal cup of tea. Like, I do I do enjoy it, but it's not something I go out of my way to play. I've got so many games that I can play. Um, whereas it's one of those games. If someone comes down and they don't have an opponent, I could easily pick up a copy because we do have our club copies of these things as well so that I can pick up a club copy and I can play someone just so that they've got an opponent to play Um, other than that you will see regular role play campaigns going on we have at least two D&D campaigns every single week we have the occasional Star Wars role play turning up Uh, I know you guys absolutely love role play gotta get that D&D in there son yeah definitely definitely I mean you miss it out if you're not (laughs) <laughs> well we won't even go into that because uh well, yeah, know you, know, not, you know i'm not as big a role player as you guys we'll get you there we'll get you there i'm sure you just need, <laughs> you need to find the right combination of people around the table so when that's an option maybe i will give you a chance yeah man. maybe i'll give you a chance we'll get you in for sure <laughs> um but other than that you've, you've got your tabletop war games as general be it from historical war gaming to sci-fi role gaming with warhammer um, two of my favourites at the minute that are really popular is Star Wars Legion and Marvel Crisis Protocol. So obviously you're a, you're a massive modern board games fan. I mean, I think that's quite clear already, um, yes. as am I. I mean, it's one of the big, one of our big subjects here at the podcast is, is board gaming. Um, what was it that brought you to modern board gaming in the first place? Was there a specific game that really got you hooked into the hobby? Or was it like a slow progression from you know, uh, like uh, your Scrabbles and things like that into something more, more progressive and more interesting that we have today? Okay, so there, it was actually a very, very quick turn for me. Um, I go back to when when I started Crawler Gaming Club. Like I said, I played Warhammer Fantasy. That was all I played. Um, I eventually met up with the person that runs the Pound Hill board gamers, and he was badgering me constantly to start playing board games. And I was that stereotypical person that turned around and said, Oh, what, Monopoly? <laughs> yeah, no, you know... <laughs> Um, and you know words can't explain how much I hate that game he's breached the topic we're done for <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there don't worry there's we'll, we'll, time to talk Monopoly don't worry good good I, I'm happy about that but um, yeah he, he bridged that with me and he badgered me for months and months and months and I eventually caved um, and he introduced me to Thanos Rising uh, it was a board game that was released alongside the Infinity Wars the original um, part one I think they did it in two parts and I absolutely loved it. He knew it was the one to catch me with because I'm a f- massive um, comic book fan. He knew I loved the film, and he said, "Oh, look, they've released a game, and you know, and basically it's a cooperative game which I'd never played before. Yeah, the idea of playing as a team in a board game had never really appealed to me because I'd never heard of it." After playing it, that was it. I was hooked. I went and bought that exact board game. I noticed that there was other. Um, intellectual property based games which is a massive hook for me especially nostalgic games uh, which is one of my biggest jams at the minute okay okay yeah i think um i know simon specifically really does like a co a co-op game and i'm a massive fan of co-op games as well i mean it's like a really big really big turn on for me to be fair i mean anything from eldritch horror where you've got that really horrible difficulty spike yeah well all the way um to your pandemics um, and even your semi-co-op stuff like Dead of Winter and Nemesis, where you have those elements where, oh, maybe not everyone is working together, but ostensibly you're trying to. It's it's ironic you brought up about Dead of Winter, because uh, I'd never heard of it. 
uh, until I heard uh, your podcast, ironically. Um, and it sounds so good, so fun. I really want to try it. Yeah, Dead of Winter is an absolute blast. One of my favourites. Um, and one of my first big board games. My hook, um, one of my first modern board games was um, actually Ticket to Ride. Because I was really just um, in a space where I was like, do you know what, I'm, I don't want to do online gaming anymore, like, yeah, just computer gaming. I want to get around a table again. I want to get around the table with some friends, have some drinks, have some snacks, um, play something. And I just did a Google search. I was like, what's out? What's, what's game, board games like nowadays? It must be more than Scrabble and Monopoly. There must be more out there. And one of those things that popped up for like, okay, what's a good board game, modern board game for beginners? Uh, ticket to Ride. What's another good one? King of Tokyo. Those were sort of my bread and butter when I was starting to get into modern board gaming. Yeah. And even now, they still hold up as great gateway games into the hobby. They're definitely uh, two of the games that I am... If anyone speaks to me and says they've never tried a modern board game, they're one of the two that I will go to and say, okay, Ticket to Ride for definite is, is your next step. It's a modern classic, I think, these days. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And with the expansions they've done for it, it just adds to the replayability of that game, which is one of my biggest things with a game nowadays, is it needs to have that replayability because it, it's no secret to people nowadays that the modern board games are more expensive when you look at the, the base value of them. Um, you know, like you said, you can get a box of Monopoly for 20 to £30 pounds and a more modern board game that is more appealing to someone like myself, you're looking at 60 to 70 But then you do have to look at the components in that. You have to see how much work has gone into it and more importantly, the replayability of that game. Monopoly comes out once a year, if you're lucky. Whereas a more modern board game, there's, there's some of my board games come out at least once a week, without a doubt. Yeah, that depth and versatility is definitely present in, in these modern games. And that's, again, another great thing about having a gaming club that's present and very regular and has their own stock and back catalogue of games is that you can come along and try and if it's not your cup of tea, come back and try something again next time. And there's such a variation out there that you could go for a year and play something different every De yeah, week. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that, that was one of the key. Uh, it wasn't one of the things I, I wanted to do when I first set up the club, but it was something that came once I started ball gaming and saw what it was and how fun it was. That was definitely something I wanted to provide as a club, which was to have a massive games library that people could just turn up who have never played a game before come down and go, right, I fancy playing that. Okay, cool, there's the game. Go and play. You know, have you got people to play with? No, not a problem. There's 30 other people here. Yeah, and then you get to enjoy that community building. And if you're a bit like me and Wayne, you get that fun of teaching someone new. And you Definitely. can get that instruction in, Definitely. oh, you'll really enjoy this bit. And then you wait for it to happen. And you're like, oh yeah, end of turns come in, the thing's going to happen. And then you get to see the delight and wonder in their face and go... Definitely. Oh, this game's just got even better. Definitely, definitely. And there's just so many different types of board game now as well. You know, you've got your player versus player. You've got your co-op style games. You've got Euro style games. You've got worker placement. And, you know, there's so many different types of game. It's not just a case of one board, a few pieces going around in a circle. Yeah, no, no, no role to win here. Exactly. There's obviously been a massive resurgence in board gaming over the last 10 years or so. Um, partly fueled thanks to Kickstarter. Um, what do you think is the driver behind some of this massive renewed interest in getting round the table again? I think people like us, I, to be honest, I think they miss that sort of... It's kind of a nostalgic thing. Like When we were kids, we did 
you know, we all went out, we played football at the park, but we also were brought up playing board games rather than computer games. You know, I had a, I had a, a console when I was older. I was allowed to play on it one hour a day. You know, the rest mm-hmm. of the time I had to, you know, I, I had to find things to to keep me occupied. And, you know, it, people of our age are, are having that resurgence because they've realized that, you know, games have progressed. They're much more in-depth now. They're more complex. Um, they're more enjoyable. Game design has improved vastly, I think, with some very yeah. talented designers coming out with some great stuff. Eric Lang of uh, Come On Games yeah. uh, being one of them, one of my very favorites. Uh, Jamie Stegmaier of Stone My Games um, releasing uh, a couple of my favorite um, games of all time at this point with Scythe coming out, shooting right up there and, and um, Eric Lang's Rising Sun. Just fantastic designers and just, and just two examples of a, a real great breadth of talent in the industry right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the other thing, and, and I know you guys touched on it on uh, the podcast a couple of weeks ago with regards to Scythe, the, the artwork that you're seeing on some of these games now is, is challenged by actual art. You know, there is actual art being put on these cards. And you just didn't see that back in the day. You know, you think of the likes of Cluedo, for example. It was very blocky, blocky style. Um, but it wasn't artistic. It was, yeah, it was sort of a picture, but it was a very blocky picture. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Um, just going back to that with uh, with Scythe, the artwork is phenomenal. And I had a conversation on Twitter with uh, uh, with someone talking about Scythe, and the art is even more than just the art of the pieces or the board or the cards. The artistry in game design can be something to behold as well, right? There's something magical about where you play something and you go, "Wait, I get that. That's so clever." Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that, that's the kind of thing that I love about modern board games is it's just there's always something new to find out about a game, whether it be a different play style that you adopt in order to play said game. Uh, it could be if it's an event deck based game, mm-hmm. the, you know, the events are always going to change, mm-hmm. you know, which means you can't get st- yeah, the gameplay doesn't get stale. Um, it's always going to keep changing it up. And again, that all comes back to what I said earlier about the replayability. Um, that's the most important thing for me in a game nowadays. So are there any uh, releases that you're looking forward to coming up? I mean, do you keep your eye on the gaming industry? Is there anything that's really piqued your attention over the last uh, sort of couple of months that you're thinking you might dive into? There definitely is, yes. Um, I, I've um, dove in headfirst into Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is at the moment it's getting monthly releases of new characters. Um, obviously, that's a tabletop war game. That's that's sort of scratching the itch for the tabletop war game side of things for me. Um, I've also I, I pretty much Kickstarter is my worst enemy and also my friend Tell because I, I am on that every single day and <laughs> you know my missus will kill me. You know if she ever found out exactly how much I've I've spent on Kickstarter over the past sort of year and a half. Yeah, you're you're um, the kid at Christmas with the Argos catalogue. Without a doubt. But it now, is the new Argos catalogue. <laughs> it is a fantastic thing. And that's another thing I would actually account for the growth in board games is, is the introduction of Kickstarter because it's allowed people that may not have ever got their games to market to be able to do it off their own back and actually get those games out there and see if people if if people like it you know do people want to play it yeah it's an incredible tool that essentially you just go here's a thing i want tell me that you're interested and it will happen and people just go yeah take my money and maybe exactly not keep up sometimes with the demand can they it's definitely rather than having to 
prove to the publisher this will be a thing just make it please now it's no no really it's already paid for just put it into production and it's, it's definitely it's and i think one of the one of the best examples of that is zombicide mm. um that that was a kickstarter game through and through and it still to this day is another come on game i think i don't know if it's eric lang that designed that i think i need to double check um probably probably not initially Kickstarter exclusive and now in retail. Uh, just think about the absolute behemoths that have come out of Kickstarter. Scythe, Western Legends, uh, Wingspan more recently, um, uh, Rising Sun, uh, Blood Rage. Um, there's been some absolute phenomenal games um, that just popped out of that whole process. Yeah, definitely. One of the ones a lot of people don't know about that originally came from Kickstarter that you can now see in pretty much every shop everywhere is Exploding Kittens. Of course, yeah. That was originally a Kickstarter, and it was one of the most funded Kickstarters of all time. It was an absolute um, phenomenon. You know, another one that was Kickstarter exclusive that's now starting to appear in the shops was Unstable Unicorns. Yeah. Unleashed Llamas, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're all becoming incredibly popular, and they're all originally Kickstarter games. Just um, on the subject of Kickstarter then, what have you backed recently then, Jason? I have backed a lot. Um, one of the ones that really sticks in my mind and I cannot wait for it to turn up is uh, Jurassic World, the miniatures game. Wow, okay. um, that already sounds interesting to me, to be honest it with It is absolutely fantastic. There's, there's some funny stories that go along with when I was actually backing that. I was actually on holiday at the time with Ian and we're both backers of that game. And the problem was is it was hitting so many of its stretch goals and every stretch goal was giving you new dinosaurs, new characters, and you know these are dinosaur miniatures, and they are massive miniatures. I'm sold. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna fade in. <laughs> that's pretty much what I had going. It's <laughs> pretty much what I had going through my mind every time I was looking at the pledge page to see, oh look, we've hit another stretch goal. We've hit another stretch goal. We've hit another. Stretch goal. And like I said, we were on holiday at the time, and we could be in different rooms, and you just suddenly hear from the next one, oh my god, we've hit another kick, yeah, another stretch. And it finished while we were on holiday. And they announced on its last day that if you backed, uh, if, if they did a certain amount, they would give you double the stretch goals. And of course, that made us all go, oh, well, we'll just buy another base game, you know. And, and I think in total, we, we between us, we probably chucked about five to six hundred pounds at this. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, and to give you to give yeah. you a rough idea of how many sort of miniatures we get, there's one of the scenery pieces for it is the dung piles. And between us we've got eight dung piles coming. So four John Hammonds, you know. <laughs> we literally spared no expense yeah. with this game. Absolutely. Wow. Well that's awesome. It sounds incredible. I cannot wait to see it and play it. You have to bust that out for me when I come and see you when we're allowed. Um, uh, one that I uh, backed very recently was actually Ankh Gods of Egypt um, another command game because it's the third in the trilogy of uh, Blood Rage and then Rising Sun again Eric Lang one of my favourite designers of all time uh, sharing those same thematic elements of area control a little bit of well I say a little bit some fighting and war some political manoeuvring um, big massive monsters and epic minis I love all that I'm a sucker for that stuff Definitely, definitely. And coming from a war game background, you know, miniatures are, I'm a real sucker for that. However, recently my, my painting pile is getting bigger and bigger and I just can't keep up with it. So, you know, games that have got standees <laughs> are starting to look really, really, you know, impressive. <laughs> yeah, I also come from a something of a war gaming background. Back when I was 14, 15 years old, I got into 40K. 
and also Warhammer Fantasy, but uh, 40k was, was my jam. I love that stuff. I'm almost, I say almost, I'm very reluctant to even start looking at it again because that's just... It's I, not wise. I, well, I may as well just burn my money now. Let's, exactly. You, you, money? You, don't, you don't want to open up that can of worms. No, I got into Magic the Gathering. I hate money. It's terrible. <laughs> We've danced around the subject a couple of times. And we know how board gaming is, is phenomenal at the moment. The designs are great. The artwork, the production quality is off the chain, better than it's ever been. We're in another golden age, in my opinion, of board gaming. Some of the best stuff that you'll ever get is, is out right now. Um, whatever your interest, you can find it. But for some reason, for some reason, there's, a, there's something that lurks in the dark corner of every retail store. It's definitely like a cockroach. Like a cockroach. It just refuses to go away. Let's, let's talk about Monopoly. And, uh... <laughs> to be honest, like I say, I, I wouldn't say I hate the game. It is a bit strong. Um, but my, my main gripe with the game is the fact that it dominates every shop that it's in because of the size of the company mb games are such a giant that they can go to places like uh, smith's toys toys r us when they were around and say we get we want this much space and that didn't give anyone else a chance to actually have their games present for people to even look at you know whereas now it's starting to change a little bit with um, companies like Ravensburger starting to release games because obviously they're just as big and they're creating modern board games. So people are starting to see it. But for the most part, if you go into Smith's Toys, it's dominated by Monopoly, the 400 million copies of it. Yeah, the marketing power makes it the default in most people's minds. Exactly. It's the, the old Hollywood versus indie argument. As a fan of any particular thing, you go, well, there's so much more out there. Yes. Just look beyond the obvious. Exactly. And it, it's, you know, the respect for Monopoly is still there in the sense that it is getting people to board game, be it once a year. You know, it's it's keeping board gaming alive with the majority of the population and allowing people like us to actually introduce these people into what gaming should be like. You know, what it is like today. You know, it's great that you've played Monopoly. How about we try you on Ticket to Ride? How about we try you on a card game? Mm. How about we really push the bow out and get you to try something really in-depth like Gloomhaven or Scythe? Mm. Yeah, and you've got the, the easy entry alternatives and then once they're hooked, you go, oh, well, actually, now that we've got you, here's an infinite world of possibility, imagination and design that you would never imagine otherwise definitely definitely going back onto the the price price point of these things there are modern board games that are a lot more in depth that you can get in the same price point yeah you know what one of the ones i like to bring up is because it's actually one of my favorites is is villainous you know Mm -hmm. it's a disney-based game so it's an ip-based game um it's sales from anywhere to 15 to 30 so it's actually in the same bracket as the likes of monopoly You've got Ticket to Ride, which is not that much more. It's about £5 more, I believe, about £35. Yeah. You can get that for, uh, yeah, um, about that price. And I'll always throw out Pandemic as one of my favourite games of all time. Definitely. So you can get that at roughly the same price bracket. You're not spending a lot more money, but you're getting an awful lot more value. Exactly. And I think that's that's the, the key driver for me at the minute is, is just getting it out there that you can get modern board games at that sort of price. It's just knowing, one, where to buy them, and two... Do your research. Make sure it's going to be something you enjoy. Now, we talked before the podcast about maybe scratching up something like a top five games list. Um, 
I've got my list, although I will, I'm going to caveat this before I even talk about my list. Mine is ever fluctuating and changing based on roughly what I'm playing at the moment. Definitely. I have a, a catalogue um, and an available catalogue of some 100 or so games. And uh, me getting them into any sort of order makes my mind hurt. So, um, but in any case, I've got my list and Jason's got his list. And yep. um, I think we've probably, uh, just based on our conversation, we've got really different tastes. So I am super excited to hear what you've got on the list and why you chose them. Okay, let's dive into number five, Jason. What's number five? Okay, number five for me is Disney Villainous. Um, there's there's multiple reasons for this. One, the gameplay aspect of it, I absolutely love. It took me, I owned the game for about a year before I actually got to play it. It has everything. It's a bit of a t- it's a resource management game. Okay. Um, you adopt. You, you pick your villain, your mastermind villain from a Disney book, and you have a set objective that you need to achieve. Every character has their own objectives. Um, you go up against other Disney villains. So they're all trying to sort of um, complete their master scheme, and they'll do anything, including stop you, in order to do it. Um, so there are aspects of the game where you can play a blocker on another character, to stop them from doing certain things. They can obviously do that to you as well. So that's where your PvP aspect of it comes in. That game really did tick the boxes for me. And the cost of it as well. Standard core set with six villains. So up to six players to straight out the box. You're looking 15 to 20 pounds. That's fantastic. That's value. a fantastic modern game. Yeah, great stuff. Really nice. So number five on my list is um, the brutal uh, Leave You in a Dark Pit of Despair Eldritch Horror. Um, I love a little bit of Lovecraft in my life, um, some of that tentacle action. It is um, a savagely difficult cooperative game that is merciless, but for me at least part of the fun is in the difficulty. Um, Simon and I have played it uh, recently, um, may well feature on the podcast for an episode at some point. The interesting thing about that game is it's Fantasy Flight, which is fantastic. You have, um, and I... I they have a very specific way that they seem to make their games. Um, the design is amazing. The quality is fantastic. Um, the complexity is very much there. Um, and so thematic. I mean, deeply, deeply thematic. You go into the game almost thinking, well, I'm going to lose. Um, <laughs> how can we make this fun? <laughs> so, but it is. It, the genuine fun is in the, uh, is in the horror of it. And I think, Simon, you didn't enjoy it the first time you played it, right? But the second time around felt a little bit better for you. Yeah, you uh, you seem to revel in the utter devastation that happens <laughs> at every turn. And sure, the, the first I I think I just didn't really get quite how obliterating the gameplay would be first time round. So I was kind of left lost and bewildered and <laughs> yeah. very very quickly dead. <laughs> second second time round, I'm not sure if I had a better understanding of it. Um, I gave my guy a voice because I always love doing a voice. So. I, I think I was playing as uh, Jim Colbert. Yeah, he, Jim was, Colbert. he was down there from, you know, down there in, in Louisiana without wanting to slip into too much of a, an, an obvious <laughs> of an obvious voice pattern. But I kind of got the characterization a little bit. And then, well, well damn, we better get out there and, and start saving the world. And, and we did. We actually did a hell of a lot better job the second time around. Oh, and God, yeah. I still died. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but... I had fun doing it. That's most of the fun in the games is when you die (laughs) and the game wins, especially if it's a co-op. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Okay, yeah, so uh, number four for you then, Jason. Okay, number four. 
is Downforce by Restoration Games. I've heard a lot about Downforce and I've heard a lot about Restoration Games. Talk to me. Definitely. Uh, Downforce was one of those that I was introduced to by uh, my friend Ian of of Pound Hill Board Gamers. Um, It is a racing game, um, very clearly based on F1, um, where... It's a, again, it's player versus player. You get a nice set map. I think the two that come in it are, are genuinely two F1 racing maps. Initially, as the players, you bid for which car you have because they all come with their own um, special abilities, etc. Um, but it's all done on, on a monetary thing. So you could win that race, but it doesn't mean you win the game because throughout the throughout the race, there are three points where you place bets on who you think is going to win you don't have to bid on yourself you can bid on others which is where half the fun of it comes in i I nearly always come last but i nearly always come at least first or second place by bidding correctly nice so you can play strategically because every card you have which is how you move have different um they all have uh, different cards on and different movement values for those cards so you could technically be playing all the best cards for the car that you're bidding for, but could also be the worst for your own. That sounds really, really cool. So it's got uh, a little bit of complexity to it, but yeah. it's still simple. Yeah, nice. I think those those are the games I, I, I do really like. A game with simple mechanics that's easy to get into, but has those sort of hidden depths, and it's just fun anyway. Okay, so number four for me is going to be, again, you're going to see a theme with a lot of the co-op stuff here, but um, at the moment, it's Nemesis, which is an absolute beast. Um, a Awakened Realms game again one of my favourite publishers at the moment designed by Adam Kropinski a fantastic designer he also designed Lords of Hellas which is another phenomenal game that I would recommend to anyone if you can pick that up Um, Nemesis again brutally difficult um, co-op game you're probably going to die but this time not to Eldritch Tentacles but to the aliens from the uh, depths of space yeah, I mean, this episode, this game will be getting its own episode, so we probably shouldn't wax lyrical for too long, but yeah, if, if you like your game high tension, bit of sci-fi horror in there, it's one to look for, for sure. That's definitely a game worthy of its own episode. Absolutely, and it will certainly get one, because uh, yeah, it's all except the IP, Alien, the board game. Phenomenal game, great depth, um, that wonderful sense of horror and terror, great difficulty and hugely thematic so what's number three okay number three this is another nostalgia one and it's another co-op based game i it was actually the very first kickstarter i ever backed which was power rangers heroes of the grid it is a phenomenal phenomenal game um it's it got amazing praise from the gaming community a lot of people don't like the intellectual property of this and i fully respect that however the game mechanics of it are appealing to a lot of gamers um they've done countless expansions for it now like i i really love the mighty Morphin power rangers the original three series they've now started hit like they've just hit kickstarter again um with another expansion for it which is um for the psycho Rangers, which means nothing to me because I never watched it at that point. However, 
going back to the actual base game, it's all based on the Mighty Morphin. You get Rita Repulsa in there. You That's get Goldar. You get amazing. all of the parties. You get the original Rangers. If you did the original Kickstarter, you were lucky enough to get Tommy Oliver, the best Ranger of all, without a doubt. Um, both, actually. No way. Yeah, you can get both. And you can get the Green Evil Ranger as well. Oh, man. I remember, um, I, even now, 20 plus years on, I remember that story arc of just being riveted on a Saturday morning. Definitely, definitely. I wouldn't miss an episode. Okay, so number three for me is, again, you're going to see another theme here with the cooperative stuff. Again, I'm going to just emphasize that this is in no particular order and this will change next week. But at the moment, number three for me is Pandemic. And I think Pandemic is always going to be up there as one of my favorite games of all time. One of the first modern board games that I ever played. Um, right up sort of with my first couple that I got into and they absolutely grabbed me but by pandemic I probably mean the entirety of that the entirety of that IP including things like pandemic legacy pandemic Iberia um, and various other spin-offs of it Matt Leacock has created an absolute modern classic much like Ticket to Ride it's one of those ones that I immediately would recommend to someone who's never played modern board games and would like to get something that's more interesting um, Pandemic is a phenomenal cooperative game where you are a team of scientists, doctors, whatever, trying to fight um, against a spreading disease. Almost um, ironic. It seems ironic, doesn't it? It seems very <laughs> apt. What's number two for you, Jason? Okay, number two. I'm going to hit back on the uh, the tabletop wargaming for a bit now, um, and this is going to be kind of covers two different games because the gameplay is very very similar. It does come from the overall parent company. And that is Star Wars Legion and the newer version, Marvel Crisis Protocol. They're both skirmish-type games uh, for tabletop. So you're not looking at huge armies that you would have looked at with um, Warhammer Fantasy. You only ever have maybe 20 models, if you're lucky. Um, And Crisis Protocol, even less, maybe 10. Um, They're both objective-based games. You can go all-out war on them, but they are far more interesting um, and will hook you more if you're going after those objectives. Um, resource management incorporated into the game. Um, you can't, you know, especially with Crisis Protocol, you can't go and attack someone unless you have built up your power. Um, obviously, that's based on Marvel superheroes. You can play as villains, which I really like. You know, I've always been into the bad guys. Um... And like I said, at the moment, they're really supporting the game amazingly. Um, The the company that produces it is Atomic Mass Games. The parent company is uh, Asmodee. Mm -hmm. And with Star Wars Legion, you're looking at Fantasy Flight. As we've already touched on earlier, Mm -hmm. Fantasy Flight, the quality of their stuff is just fantastic. Attention to detail is definitely there. So that was number two for you. That was. Number two for me is going to be Rising Sun, Um, a command game. Eric Lang Design, the second in the trilogy uh, after Blood Rage. Um, Rising Sun uh, tickles me for a few reasons. The theme and the artwork is phenomenal, um, sort of set in a mythological ancient Japan. Uh, The colorization is phenomenal. The miniatures are out of this world good, like they normally are with Come On Games. They are just absolutely next level. Great detail and design, like Oni and all of that great mythological stuff. The gameplay is fantastic. Again, it has some of those elements that I really like in board games, where it has some of some political debate. It has some negotiation as a as a part of it. It has some diplomacy that you need to 
um, implement and you need to discuss and start um, negotiating with people uh, when you are playing um, your political mandate for your turn. You are choosing whether or not to march your armies around, whether you would want to recruit more of your troops onto the board. Um, and all of this stuff is negotiable. Maybe you'll toss a coin if, you, uh, if your opponent maybe doesn't invade that particular space and you might want to invade over there instead. Um, let's cut a deal. And then you have a phenomenal um, blind bidding combat system, which absolutely blew my mind. I've never seen anything like it before, and I haven't seen it copied. I mean, I'm sure someone's going to tell me where it's been done before, but um, it is an amazingly, un for me at least, a very unique and interesting uh, blind bidding mechanic for combat. Um, just all around a phenomenal game with a remarkable production value. It's just next level for me, and Simon's played this as well, right? Yeah, we've had this one a, a few times now, and I, I can always see you even getting excited as we unbox, just your Machiavellian mind just whirring in, how can I screw people over this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm your, I'm your friend, it's in your best interest, it's in your best interest. <laughs> oh, here's 16 Ronin. Ah. <laughs> but again, I think this is very much a game that deserves its own episode, so yeah, there's so. so much to explore in terms of uh, the artwork, the gameplay, the options and versatility within that. So, yeah, looking forward to discussing that in, in more depth. Okay, number one for me is I'm going back to my comic love of Marvel. And we're actually going for a card-based game this time. It's a Can Marvel Legendary. I was going to say, let me try and guess it. may have been Marvel Legendary. Fantastic game. Indeed. Talk to me. Talk to me about it. Um, I mean, the honourable mention now is obviously the big one that's just come out is Marvel Champions. It's a real... That's not a bad game, but I love the co-op aspect of Marvel Legendary. It's not far for me to say I've got every expansion bar one. Um, mm. Current card stock in the region of about 6,000 cards. Uh, so the replayability uh, is it crazy. It sounded like you said 6,000. I did say 6,000, yes. But this isn't Magic the Gathering. This isn't Magic the Gathering, I didn't no. know any other game existed that had such a volume of cards. Yeah, yeah. It's a, there's a... There's, yeah. Um, the only other type of game I know that's very similar is Dominion, and that's even... You know, I think Marvel Legendary's even got more than that. I mean, I'm picturing... a a visual dictionary at this point in terms of thickness and weight of cardstock um well i mean one thing that people find funny about me is i get really obsessive with carrying multiple boxes per game i love everything in one box and i'm still sticking to that with legendary to the point that i've actually had to build custom storage that will hold everything the bot i'm actually building it at the minute um, the case that I'm building is about three foot long by about two foot um, width. And that's only just enough to, to cover for what they've got released. Like as soon as they release another expansion later this year, I, I'm going to have to do something else, you know? <laughs> Oh man, it sounds yeah, it sounds like a quite a phenomenal collection, and that is a, genuinely a really great cooperative game using the Marvel IP, um, which is really cool. You are uh, essentially a set of superheroes uh, trying to stop the villain achieving his plan, right? That is exactly correct. Yes, um, they obviously the the villain has an overall scheme. Um, the mastermind also has uh, certain villains that are uh, henchmen that he will have fighting you as well. Um, so 
your average turn is basically you draw your cards, you reveal the next henchman villain onto the villain track. Uh, occasionally they will hit you straight away. Sometimes they won't. Um, and you win the game by defeating the, ma the mastermind. You have to hit the mastermind three times and they can be anything from sort of nine damage at the weakest and go up to about 30 something damage uh, for someone like Thanos, for example. Um, then you've got other ones that they sort of, with the expansions that they've added in, you can uh, get things like Carnage from the, the Venomverse, or Spideyverse. But Carnage is very weak, but ultimately he is strong because every time someone, you know, a new villain comes out, if they've got a certain keyword on it, part of him will attach onto them, which makes them even more powerful to, to destroy, you know, the whole symbiote thing. Um, and I, I'm not afraid to admit, most of the time I lose at this game because it is just the right amount of complexity that it goes right down to the wire. I played it with uh, the missus the other day. Really happy to know that she loves this game, so it justifies me buying every single card there is going. Um, and yeah, I think we were, we were facing against Zombie Green Goblin. So I think yeah. Just on that note, I think with cooperative games, the enjoyment for me is in the difficulty because I think you that is if you are constantly beating the game, that doesn't for some reason doesn't feel as satisfying as if you barely hang on by a thread and you get there together and together you're like yeah. yes we did it and it, it, it kind of creates a conversation after the game even once the game's over you're talking about the game it's like oh my god it came down to the wire you know absolutely or how, can we, how can we beat it next time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you, you sort of start planning but again that's where something like Legendary I absolutely love because if you choose different characters you may have a different overall scheme for that mastermind so you can say oh well we'll do this next time and then if you're, you're like me, I like lots of randomness when it comes to that because you can't plan. You draw a random scheme, your whole thing of, oh, well, we plan to do this isn't going to work. Yeah, that's out the window. So, you know, it's like I said, I mean, I, I sort of counted through the other day. Schemes alone, different schemes that every single villain can use, I've got about 120. Wow, that's huge variability and replayability in that. Exactly. So, just on the subject of Marvel Legendary, have you played Sentinels of the Multiverse? I have indeed, yes. How do you think it stacks up? Because I, I find they are two sides of the or very two similar sides of the same coin, really, where you have a um, cooperative multiplayer superhero game, but they approach the mechanic very differently. Yes, they do. Um, I've, I've not had as much experience with Sentinels of the Multiverse, um, but you're dead on, dead right on that. They, they, it's still a deck building game. It's still heroes and villains. Mm -hmm. But like you said, they do a, approach it a very different way. And they're both enjoyable in their own way. Mm -hmm. um, and th this is where it goes back to our conversation earlier. Like If I wanted to get someone new who's never gamed before, what one are they more likely to want to play? Yeah. And the overall thing is mm, I will go for the IP-based game just purely because people know Marvel. 100%. Um, but once they've done it, if they go, oh, I really like that, it's like, right, cool, fantastic. Next, you're playing Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah. Or the DC deck building game. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and the good thing with, with Marvel Legendary, for example, because it's uh, upper deck that make it, they've done other IP-based deck builders, which are exact same system. So you've got a Buffy deck builder game. You've got Alien 
deck builder game. I've seen the Alien One for Legendary, and I almost splashed out. It looks phenomenal. Yes, I've I've again played it once. I don't personally own it, but there are actually rules out there that you can combine the two games as well. Holy cow! So you can have Marvel Marvel characters fighting off against an alien villain, or you could stick Thanos as a villain and have the alien characters fighting Thanos. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Alrighty, uh, I think that's a great great shout for a, for a number one. I love uh, Marvel Legendary. Um, all the Legendary system, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really good stuff. Um, and number one's going to be no surprise to anyone at the moment, considering how much I've waxed lyrical about it, and I think uh, Sai will probably agree at least. Um, number one at the moment is Scythe. So um, a Kickstarter behemoth that, for me, justifies all of the hype with its tight design, phenomenal artwork, um, beautifully integrated mechanics, um, just uh, an experience that needs to be that you just need to go out and, and, and try that game um, it's an action selection game um, sort of crossed with a 4x uh, kind of experience um, and we talked about it on the podcast go check out that episode and you're I promise you if it's one of those things you'll lo- you'll love it or it's not for you but if you if, if you're in any way interested in modern ball gaming and you you are appreciative appreciative of good design I think you're gonna enjoy it now, Jason, before we let you, let you go, you need to uh, let us know where we can find you and the Crawley Gaming community. So I assume you've got Facebook. I know you've got the Discord ready. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're all over the socials. Um, on Facebook, just search for Crawley Gaming Club. We also have another Facebook group where all the members get to chat to each other, talking everything games and hobby related, which is Crawley Gaming Community. Um, we have crawlygamingclub.co.uk as a website. We're on Discord. Uh, again, Crawley Gaming Community. We're everywhere. That's great, man. I'm definitely going to see you on Discord soon. And I'm already a member on the Facebook site. So I add some, uh, some bonuses in there when I can. Wicked stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason, uh, to chat board games, to chat role play, to chat all of this great stuff that we love. I tell you what, we cannot wait to get you around the table at some point, um, and let's let's chuck all this stuff out there and see what we like, right? I mean, that's part of the joy. When all of this is over, let's get around the table, have a few snacks, have a few beers, and play some board games. Sounds absolutely amazing to me, and thank you very much for having me. It's been an experience. I've never done anything like this before, so it's 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 good. Thanks for listening to Board Stupid. Subscribe to us for updates and to get future episodes of the show delivered directly to your ear holes via your favourite podcast service. You can also find us at facebook.com slash stupidboardnerds. That's B-O-A-R-D. On Twitter, at boardnerd. Again, B-O-A-R-D. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict. Wherever you can find your favourite podcast flavour, you can find Board Stupid. If you've got any feedback, comments, or questions, do stick it in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to us about board games. What's your top five board games? Are you angry at me? Is the internet angry at my top five board games? Trust me, if you ask me tomorrow, that's a totally different list of games. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, but it's part of the joy of, of, of what we do. So um, the more you play something, the more it jumps up the list, I guess. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again real soon. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do.